You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad. And uh, <clears throat> as I always said, the Irish have had an influence in Canada on so many different levels and continue to do so. And uh, whether it be in industry, politics and the arts. And today we're going to talk a little about the arts because uh, Padre Gobrin, uh, is a, when his family immigrated from Dublin in 1913, uh, he was a child. Um, and uh, by 1930, he was emerging as an English language poet in Canada. And he came across the Irish language and set about learning it, even though he had come from Dublin. Uh, that at that time, he obviously was either too young or probably that uh, the Irish language would not have been where it is today with Gael Scullina and all the rest of it. But uh, Patrick O'Brien uh, developed a reputation for his poetry. And as a result of that, a uh, wonderful man here in Ottawa, uh, Chef Franken, is, uh, has put music to and I think it's 20 of Podrick's poems. And these, this is poetry in the English language because Podrick also composed in the Irish language. And we're going to hear a little bit about Chef uh, and also his interest and what attracted him to it and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, I'm going to greet you in Irish and welcome you, Chef. Tafal Chiroth, welcome. I'm sorry, I can't respond in Gaelic. <laughs> A couple of other languages, but not Gaelic, not yet. Okay. So, uh, a bit about yourself, a bit about your uh, artistic interests and your love of poetry and your love of Patrick O'Brien. It's hard to say. I my main interest is, is in music, but I've written some poetry, and I was working for a classical fine art station in Toronto in the mid '60s, and I. Uh, programmed a half hour of poetry every month by whoever poets we could lay our hands on. And uh, we had Gwendolyn McEwen, uh, any any number of well-known uh, poets living in that area. Uh, but one day we had a little notice from a man called Patrick O'Brien. And uh, I met him. That was the only occasion I met him. That was to do a program of his poems in English in the studio. At the end of which, I asked him, I was very impressed. Uh, some of the poems are very dark, you might say. Some of them are very light. So there's a nice range. And I asked him if I could set some of his poems to music. And he said, sure, why not? How many? I said, I don't know, four, five, six, or something like this. And then I did that, and the project rested there for a while and I came to Ottawa and I wanted to do some more so I started looking for him in Toronto but he disappeared off the map he used to belong to the membership of the Bohemian Embassy that also counted Margaret Atwood and people like that uh, as well as Gwendolyn McEwen as its regular customers that was the, the folk club in Toronto at the time in the early 60s to mid 60s Anyhow, it turned out that while I was looking for him, I was living in Ottawa at the time. I was looking for him in, in Toronto. He had died in 67 in their hospital in Ottawa. So then I got in touch with the lady, he, uh, his partner, Hazel Yates, and she said, okay, you can do some more. So I did some more. 
And then she died, and I finally got uh, in touch with, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, I can look it up, um, who was a, a relative of uh, Patrick and they said, okay, do as many as you want. In the meantime, I'd also got in touch with uh, first uh, uh, two, two surviving children of Patrick and both of whom turned out to be religious. The male became a priest in the Lindsay-Peterborough area, and I spoke to him once, not knowing how closely related he was to, uh, to Patrick Cabrin. And, and he directed me uh, to the, uh, the proper copyright holders. But he also had a daughter who is still living, as far as I know, who is a Carmelite nun. So I had a long interview with her once, which I have somewhere on, on, on tape. And she said, okay, uh, <laughs> even though she was not the copyright holder, strangely to say, she said, okay, yeah, I would like you to do that. So in other words, altogether, I would rummage through the whole catalog and I came across, uh, uh, I, I produced this one album of songs, which I sing myself uh, with the help of some other people. Um, I think pretty well all the facts that are known about Patrick O'Brien are contained in this little book. Uh, I think Professor Rasheel and there's another professor uh, who's, who got involved, one in Montreal and one in New Brunswick, I think. Um, uh, they have come up with marginally different uh, additional material, but not any different. I should say that Patrick O'Brien was originally called Patrick Byrne, and he did not change his name until he, on, a, on a visit to Ireland, he said he wanted to totally immerse himself and change his name legally to Patrick, uh, to Patrick O'Brien. So, um, so, um, Chef, had, are you aware when uh, was his poetry ever published in print? Did it, were there any either in either language in his English poetry or his Irish poetry? Both in the same books. The, the, you have to consult my notes myself here. Uh, they, the one book was called Than Any Star, which has mostly English but also sometimes translated ones with the Gaelic on the left and the English translation on the other, and some only Gaelic. And the second book, which was also published in hardcover, uh, was No Casual Trespass. And most of the songs come from Than Any Star, but two or three from uh, casual, No Casual Trespass. So they are available, and I think some poetry might still be in archives. There are archives, I think it's in... Uh, one of the universities in, in central Ontario, Guelph, or somewhere around there. So, and the, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, when someone writes a book, there's a, they have an expectation that they might sell 5, 10, 15, 20,000 copies. When a poet publishes a book of poetry, I know uh, their expectations are a lot lower. <laughs> so... Uh, because it is a, a special interest. So I imagine that the number of copies of his poetry that may have been published and survived would be somewhat limited. Yes, but I think most libraries, many libraries in Canada, will have a copy of at least the first one. Right. And the Carlton Library also has full copies of his uh, the, the magazine that he published himself, Changador. Uh, what is a translator? I think it is. Is, is that the, the translation of the word? 
Changador. Uh, well, uh, I see uh, Changador uh, and Changa is tongue. Um, door, probably the golden tongue, if, if I would be translating it correctly. Well, you, I'm sure you're better at this than I am. Uh, the point is, they have a full collection of all, all his issues of Changador, which also contains his own poetry, but also a lot of the other people of that time, of, that, of the 60s and so on. And besides that, he was the, had been editor of a Canadian poetry magazine for many years. So he was well known at the time, but hardly anybody remembers his name. And maybe it's a small crusade, but I want to make his works better known. And I figured that musically speaking, they are more accessible than they were just lying cold in a page. So it's a... It's, it's, well, that's, that's one of my life's little chores to make sure that political brand gets a larger, a wider audience. So, Chef, do, are you aware what his, um, day job was? Um, because again, like a lot of, um, specialty artists, they're, they have difficulty. They would be, have very little opportunity to make a living out of what their special interest is. I know, I know quite a few poets, and they all have day jobs. Uh, I think for much of his life, he was a secretary. And I don't mean that in those days, you had male secretaries at the large companies or something. They wanted male secretaries who did more than just typing. Um, and, but I think he was that for most of his life. The other thing uh, like I'm seeing here is that uh, he was obviously recognized for his talent within the poetic community. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely, and for his talent for discovering other talent. Like that's how he ran not only Changador, but also the Canadian Poetry Magazine or something for which he was the editor for quite some, quite a number of years. So right. it's a, and that is it. There's so much talent. I mean, uh, I, I am part of a circle of people of, of which uh, our mutual friends, uh, Susan Sweeney Herman, is also, a, in fact, the president of the society um, in, the, in the folk music community. We organize concerts. We have open stages. And I'm always, we're always looking for new talent. For, can we bring this person in? You know, let's, let's realize that this young person can entertain an audience. Bring him or her in, and let's see what happens. And that is what happened to me. I, I was, I, Patrick O'Brien should be more widely known. Now, we are going to share your, uh, some of uh, track or two of the album with the listener, but if you were to think of the volume of poetry that is there, um, are there particular poems that resonate with you and maybe particularly now that we're coming out of close on two years of where we've been in an unusual situation and oftentimes what I find is that when you look back at somebody's work which was totally out of context then and you apply it to today it actually resonates in so many different ways that uh, you say wow that's uh, that was very insightful because it's a human condition. I think actually much of his stuff carries well. I mean, I met the man in 1966, I think it was. Six, 1966, that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. 
Much of it has to do, for instance, here, this is a thing called past kuchishing. It has a Gaelic subtitle that I cannot even begin to, to read to you. But I came north today, have seen small lakes crooked in a field of granite, gray and rose, shadowed by maples loosing burning flakes, or huddled cedars dipping tentative toes. Just one little paragraph. I mean, that, that is, that's now, that's Canada in the fall, the Muskokas in the fall. In your efforts and your passion to um, get Padraig out there, I know that, for example, there's a verse fest here in Ottawa. Um, are there opportunities for poetry across the country in Canada? Uh, like Verse Fest, because I know we have a Writers Fest for books, and uh, that there's one in in Toronto and in Kingston. Uh, the only one on poetry I am aware of is the Verse Fest. You have shamed me into. <laughs> you know, thought ne- I have attended Verse Fest, but I never thought of giving a reading of his poems there. <laughs> I will I will correct that as soon as whatever restrictions there are on public performances are lifted, and I'll be in there come July or August whenever the first fest is held, and I'll make an application if I can do that. Fantastic. Fantastic. And and I know as uh, your your goal is to um, share the wealth that Patrick O'Brien has brought to literary uh, life in Canada. Um, So what how, how have you found and this, I ask this because I, I would say so many artists, irrelevant again of what field they may be in, it's a struggle that whether you're a musician, whether you're a writer, whether you're a poet, it's a struggle to get your work out there and to get noticed. It is indeed. Back again to the spirit of Rasputin's, that group that I just referred to. I bet you at least 10 of the members have qualities, have the, the, the talent, the writing talent, the performing talent to be major stars on the Canadian and the international horizon. But the system is so, ne- it is a huge funnel that winds up in a very, very small spout. They have all these people working underneath, enormous talents, and all they need, one little chance that everything, all they've Influence that just comes together at the right time, and then they go to the top, and they make millions of dollars. On the other hand, there's a whole bank of people underneath who have an equal amount of talent, equal amount. They're all good-looking. They all play the guitar. They can all do kinds of things, and they never get noticed. And sometimes we have to say, well, maybe it's a good thing that they are not go up, that we have all this richness of talent around us that we can enjoy practically free of charge. It's amazing. We don't have to add, add <laughs> and they don't have to worry about excessive taxes either. I read an, uh, an essay recently written by Jeffrey Archer, and it was on writing a bestseller. And basically he said, you know, for every book that makes it to the bestseller list, there have been 10,000 drafts have been submitted and 10,000 have been rejected for the one that ultimately makes it through, something to that effect. And I know it would be the same in the, any music, be it the music or any other industry like that. 
it, it is, it is very discouraging in a way. But then again, it's hopeful when you read that people like Hemingway, you know, they, they had stacks full of rejection slips before they finally got through. And once you have a bestseller, I, you're, you can't do any wrong. And you have script editors and all kinds of people helping you out and correcting your mistakes and reshaping it and whatnot, such as did not happen in Charles Dickens' time. What he wrote got published. That's the way it was. Indeed. Uh, we don't have too many of those. But, I mean, I'm going to the library. I've given up trying to find space in my own condo. So I borrow heavily from the OPL. And, I mean, I'm only at the beginning of the age, and I've come across wonderful books, you know, with names I've never heard of. So it's the same thing. A friend of mine once ran a little study for, for and while I was working at the CRTC, I was in the broadcasting area. And he checked in how many songs got recorded that one week. And now we're talking the early 70s. And it turned about 750 individual songs were recorded. Nowadays, there's, of course, no counting. And of those 750, how many do you think would actually wind up on the charts? Any of the charts. You're lucky of one, yeah. That was it. And, of course, for every 750 that were recorded, you could count at least 10 that were written but never recorded because yeah. nobody wanted to lose money on it. So... It's just an incredible amount of talent, an incredible amount of artistic endeavor and results that nobody gets to hear, or very few people get to hear. But you do your best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So if we're going to wrap up and we're going to share uh, a track with the listener, and uh, it's been a real pleasure meeting you, and uh, well done on your work, and hopefully we can help spread the word. And if at all possible, hopefully we can help get you connected across the Atlantic and help spread the word over there also. That would be very nice. 